welcome back to Food Toxicology. Well, among toxicologists and risk assessors, uh, there is no word in the uh, toxicology lexicon, perhaps, uh, that uh, gives more concern, uh, perhaps, than the D word, uh, dioxin. When dioxin is mentioned in the course of a risk assessment, uh, risk management, uh, there's great concern not only because of the incredible costs associated with dioxin management, but the potential that uh, we just don't know the lower limits of impact of dioxins on human health. Uh, to give you an example, I was involved in a risk assessment uh, in Northern California in the early 1980s. Dioxins uh, can be produced from the combustion of chlorinated hydrocarbon materials. And in this particular case, it was a fence post treating wood treatment plant that was burned. The plume of potential dioxins, again, which formed from these high temperature combustion events in this case, uh, went down a particular uh, airshed. And there was great concern in terms of public health authorities on contamination of dioxin in food and feedstuffs to the local resident populations, especially those that used home-produced foods and livestock. Uh, the incident uh, concerned uh, many local residents, and in terms of risk communication, it was a challenge to convey the sense of risk associated with dioxins, but to do it in a responsible fashion. Uh, despite all challenges, there was a tremendous amount of local concern, and uh, one of the public leaders of that local concern uh, actually passed away due to a heart attack uh, while going up the steps to the courthouse to one of the public meetings. Uh, did dioxin uh, end up killing this particular uh, woman? Uh, I would say yes in a certain sense only from the fear of intoxication associated with dioxins. This fear in the general public has actually stimulated a tremendous amount of concern with public health authorities. One of the byproducts of that concern was a 2003 uh, study by the National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine, dioxins and dioxin-like compounds in the food supply. What we're going to do today in this lecture is review dioxin-related compounds in the entire human food chain to give you a broad-based understanding of what we know in terms of the sources, pathways, receptors, and controls of dioxins in the human food chain. Our learning objectives here today, what we're going to try to do is explore some dioxins and dioxin-like compounds in the food supply. As you'll see, there are other types of chlorinated hydrocarbons, dioxin-like compounds, if you will, that have similar manifestations of clinical diagnostic endpoints. We'll try to summarize the structural similarity of the cogeners of dioxins and furans, the structural structures, the chemical structures uh, of all the polychlorinated moieties associated with this class of chemical compounds. We'll understand as well, uh, or try to understand, how uh, risk assessors and scientists have actually tried to reduce that complexity by coming up with a system of TEFs, or toxicity equivalency factors, for this full range of dioxin-like compounds. These toxicity equivalency factors are, uh, give rise to uh, toxicity equivalence in terms of a risk assessment approach for this class of compounds. 
I'll try to summarize some of the known processes and toxicological endpoints of dioxin exposure. Uh, dioxin exposure at high levels in terms of acute and chronic or low level, very low level in some cases, exposure via food. We'll try to describe if an, a little bit the controversy and the data needs uh, surrounding low level dioxin exposure. When we have larger exposures, higher level exposures and acute presentation, the dose response is quite clear. When we have uh, a very low level, the dose response in the clinical uh, progression to disease is less clear. We'll describe some of the observed effects and some of the major findings associated with animal studies with dioxin. We'll try to summarize in a very broad way the environmental and food sources of dioxins. We'll describe, try to summarize as well some of the known human risk estimations uh, for dioxins and some of the regulatory control approaches for dioxin exposure. Well, dioxins are a part of the organochlorine legacy that we have had in industrialized societies uh, since before World War II. One of the reasons these compounds form a legacy in, is that they are very stable in the environment. These compounds uh, can be formed not only by synthetic means, such as DDT, the insecticide, but it also can be formed from combustion processes and naturally occurring processes in the presence of chlorine. So not everything is a synthetic pathway, and in fact, research has shown that some chlorinated compounds naturally occurring and uh, microbial action can actually produce uh, natural dioxins. These compounds are often nonpolar and therefore highly lipophilic. Uh, they have the ability to be sequestered then in fat tissue. Uh, as we know from our uh, adsorption, distribution, transport, and storage uh, lectures, this can demonstrate bioaccumulation up the food chain. We get continuously exposed because these compounds, with their stability and their sequestration in fats, allow them to circulate in the liposphere. In other words, as an animal eats a, a plant or another animal uh, that has some level of fat, there will be the presentation of some of these organochlorines uh, in terms of the cycle. Um, and until we uh, break that cycle in terms of production and release of these uh, chemicals, uh, we will continue to have some level of uh, these organochlorines in fats. These compounds uh, are related to, in terms of their clinical presentation of disease, immune dysfunction, neurological effects, cancer, endocrine disruption, and some other toxicological endpoints. Uh, these compounds are all around us, and again, natural as well as man-made or synthetic sources, as well as the metabolic breakdown products. For example, your body fat uh, contains primarily the metabolic DDE uh, form of DDT. Sometimes the effects of low-level exposure uh, are subclinical and at the biomolecular level, and this is uh, complicating in terms of the risk assessment of very low-level exposure that we can uh, see in food. This is a non-acute, chronic, low-level exposure. Now again, this is the citation for the 2003 National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine analysis, dioxin and dioxin-like compounds in the food supply. This particular uh, report was a very in-depth analysis, not only of what we know 
uh, in terms of 2003 about dioxins, but what we need to know in terms of research objectives and as well precautionary uh, uh, practices that we need to start applying in terms of minimizing dioxin exposures, especially to certain subpopulations. Some of the results of this report indicate that there is widespread low-level contamination of animal feeds and the human food supply in terms of dioxin contamination. Animal fats are primarily uh, considered to be the vector of exposure of dioxins in terms of humans. These compounds metabolize slowly and therefore accumulate in the body fat over a lifetime. We do know that uh, regulatory pressure has uh, shown a decline in levels uh, in humans and in the environment. So this is kind of a good cause effect in terms of uh, enhanced environmental regulation about the release of dioxins and dioxin-like substances. Endocrine disruption is a primary concern in terms of developmental toxicity and as is uh, exposure in children's health and development as a broad-based issue related to dioxins. There is a high public priority uh, from the National Academy's uh, report uh, to reduce dioxin levels, especially in girls and young women, uh, prior to their, the reproductive stage in their lives. In terms of uh, food supply exposure, uh, this report confirms that we uh, have dioxins in animal production systems. This is due primarily to airborne deposition uh, and again from incineration sources as a prime vector. Uh, and this happens on grazing areas and water bodies, perhaps associated with fish farming. There is some geographic variability in terms of uh, environmental contamination. However, this variability is uh, diluted out via the food distribution system for the broad uh, U.S. food system and human impact. In terms of uh, human foods, we have, therefore, uh, relatively uniform uh, exposure across our population. Uh, there is some concern about food consumption patterns. Uh, for example, uh, subsistence livers that, uh, or individuals that uh, eat a more local food supply that might come from a more contaminated environment in terms of atmospheric deposition. However, the largest concern are for individuals who have high-fat diets. The high-fat diet will contain a larger dioxin load, therefore higher exposure to dioxins. Um, the animal fats uh, of uh, interest uh, are uh, just plain meat fat, uh, full-fat dairy products, and fatty fish in terms of some of the problematic consumption patterns. This next slide shows the structure of uh, uh, dioxins. Uh, this is 2378-TCDD, or tetrachlorodibenzoparadioxin. Uh, this uh, particular compound, TCDD, it's a good idea to kind of focus on this uh, structure a little bit because this is the primary uh, chemical structure uh, that all other dioxins, and there are many in terms of polychlorinated forms of this chemical, but all of these have toxicity equivalents related back to this particular structure, TCDD. So we talk about toxicity equivalency factors and toxicity equivalents. We are relating other cogeners back to TCDD. 
The other cogeners can look like the various polychlorinated dibenzodioxins, and you can see on this structure uh, where there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, various uh, uh, places for chlorination, or in some cases due to microbial action in the environment, dechlorination. Uh, all of these have a potential equivalent, but this gives us numerous types of dioxin cogeners. There's also a class of compounds referred to as chlorinated dibenzofurans. The furan is different in that it's a five-membered ring in the center of this three-membered ring uh, uh, molecule. And this one is 2378-tetrachlorodibenzofuran. One of the problems associated with dioxins and furan-type molecules is uh, because of their structure, they're actually flat molecules. They actually have a very similar electron distribution and shape and size to uh, chemical compounds like estradiol, and scientists theorize that this is why we observe estrogenic effects with uh, some of these chlorinated polycyclic compounds. Another category of uh, chlorinated polycyclic compound is the polychlorinated biphenyls, better known as PCBs. These are industrial chemicals. Uh, they were used because of their dielectric properties uh, in uh, 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 many uh, industrial applications in terms of high power applications. Uh, transformers on telephone poles uh, uh, back in the 50s and the 60s and to a degree in the 70s contained PCBs. They were thought to be wonderful substances. Uh, we did not know at that time that, in fact, PCBs uh, had uh, a very, very large, uh, long uh, uh, residual time in the environment and had the toxicity that we now understand they have. This one is 3, 3 prime, 4, 4 prime, 5, 5 prime hexachlorobiphenyl. Now, in terms of the full range of dioxins, we find 75 dioxin cogeners and 135 dibenzofuran cogeners. These are where we can have various combinations of chlorination on these molecules. Uh, remember also that in terms of the broader range of halogenated uh, chemical compounds, we can also see uh, polybrominated species. And we've spoken in here in one case study of the incident of uh, a PPB, a polybrominated biphenyl fire retardant, uh, getting mixed up in an animal feed supplement and actually uh, poisoning uh, uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of uh, food animals in the Midwest uh, about uh, a decade and a half ago. In general, the uh, dioxins and the dibenzofurans are present in human adipose tissue and in fish and bird samples at about uh, the sub-microgram per kilogram or the sub-part per billion level. So we're talking parts per trillion levels. Many of the compounds, uh, because it presents as an array of compounds, and this is uh, presents a degree of complexity in terms of the risk assessment because we're not dealing with one cogener, we're dealing with a spectrum of cogeners in terms of the amount of chlorination each one of those having a different toxicologic profile. In general, among the major categories, uh, the uh, chlorinated di uh, benzodioxins uh, are greater in terms of relative toxicity from the dibenzofurans, which is much, much greater uh, in toxicity than uh, the PCBs or just the chlorinated naphthalenes, another category of chlorinated hydrocarbons.
One of the approaches in terms of risk management and risk assessment is to combine uh, the various risks from dioxins because they do share a common mechanism of toxicity. The way we have approached that is to establish toxicity equivalency factors, or TEFs, to compare the different toxicity of the different dioxin compounds. Uh, one chlorine, uh, two chlorine, three chlorine, four chlorines, and we can come up with these relative uh, risk levels. The TEFs are expressed in terms of toxicity equivalence, or TEQs. I'll show you in the next slide how that is done. TEQ then is the amount, the relative amount, because we use TCDD, tetrachlorodibenzodioxin, 2378. We use that particular cogener as the standard of comparison. So if one of the other cogeners, one of the other uh, molecules, is a half or a quarter or a tenth of toxic, the toxicity equivalency will magnify in terms of a risk assessment as one tenth of the concentration of TCDD. The way we break that out in terms of a scheme is shown on this table. Uh, the TEFs in terms of the toxicity equivalency factors, again, if we're comparing two chemicals uh, side by side and one is one-tenth as toxic as TCDD, such as uh, uh, a um, chemical like uh, hexachlorodibenzofuran, uh, uh, what we do is we actually come up with a toxicity equivalency factor. And so since everything is going to be compared to TCDD, that gives a 1.0 toxicity. So if in our analysis of a food product we're breaking down all the different species, the amount of TCDD is going to be magnified by, uh, multiplied by 1, whereas, uh, for example, some of the different uh, polychlorinated uh, benzodioxins. So for instance, here's a fully chlorinated octachlorodibenzodioxin. This has substantially less toxicity, a thousand-fold less toxicity. And so the equivalency factor is 0 0.001. This allows us to do a, uh, a more um, uh, quantitative assessment of risk of food types, environmental contamination, and progression throughout the food system. We can use this information in terms of toxicity equivalence and toxicity equivalency factors uh, in terms of comparing relative risk. One of the inputs in terms of uh, looking at relative risk is to do a background analysis of what our body burden levels for dioxins are. This is a relatively complex graphic. It's going to take you a few minutes to kind of chunk through uh, the amount of data that's in this. But in essence, this is a historical representation of dioxin body burden levels throughout some major dioxin exposure incidences, and as well, what's the norm in terms of the US population recently and uh, a decade ago. Uh, if we actually look at this graphic, we have the various categories of the case studies we have uh, the median actually in a, as a white bar, the contribution of 2378-tetrachlorodibenzodioxin uh, is shown as a light blue, whereas the non-TCDD equivalence is shown in a green. But this is, gives you the entire range here. And that range is the body burden in nanograms per kilogram uh, for uh, body weight uh, for 25, normalized for 25% lipid. 
the concentration units here, because it's a log scale, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, uh, and these are, again, our uh, nanograms per kilogram or part per trillion. Uh, in terms of uh, going across here, there's several episodes. We'll talk a little bit about each one of these episodes. Uh, the most recent uh, review by CDC in the year 2000 uh, gives a, uh, a median uh, number, an average mean number, I'm sorry, uh, of uh, seven in terms of uh, body burden levels. Um, in 1990, across the USA, it was actually uh, substantially higher. I believe that was uh, around 18. Uh, and so the regulatory efforts uh, between uh, 1990 and the year 2000 have succeeded in drawing this number down, is the popular conclusion among regulatory agencies. The next uh, categories, uh, next three categories, are four categories are from an incident in Seveso, Italy. We'll review in terms of an industrial explosion uh, and uh, incineration uh, from a pesticide factory uh, that uh, contaminated the airshed uh, of a local population in Seveso, Italy. There was a significant amount of follow-up analysis in terms of how far individuals were from the uh, incident and their dose and their uh, presentation of some disease such as cancer. Um, you'll see that uh, some of the highest concentrations uh, that were observed in terms of uh, body lipid levels, uh, 1,400 uh, parts per trillion or 14 parts per billion. This is extremely large in the uh, liturgy of dioxins. Uh, the next two are from Operation Ranch Hand from individuals uh, that uh, were in low exposure or high exposure categories. Operation Ranch Hand is also known as Agent Orange during uh, the Vietnam War. These are uh, soldiers that were exposed uh, to uh, dioxins because of manufacturing byproducts with some herbicides they were using uh, to defoliate uh, parts of the jungle during the Vietnam War. Uh, the final three categories are from another industrial accident uh, with BASF in Germany uh, in terms of uh, very high levels of exposure as well and some of the uh, body burdens associated with dioxins. These case studies actually do provide us with some uh, not only clinical history but the ab uh, ability to look at dioxin exposure and presentation of disease in the uh, uh, individuals that have been exposed. In the United States, we had an incident uh, in northern uh, New York uh, with a hazardous waste landfill called Love Canal. This was in the 40s to the 1950s. Uh, this was before we had uh, the EPA and before we had uh, real knowledge of the proper ways to dispose of and manage hazardous waste. Uh, Hooker Chemical Company uh, used this area as a hazardous waste dump. Um, it was a landfill, and so they dumped their industrial waste and then uh, uh, filled it over with dirt. They actually donated uh, the land to the local school district. Uh, there were houses nearby with contaminated basements uh, over the years following. Uh, it was shut down as a major Superfund site. It's a demonstration, perhaps, of what not to do uh, in terms of hazardous waste management. In uh, 1982, there was an incident in Times Beach, Missouri, uh, where a chemical uh, mixture was used to oil the streets and the gravel as a, a dust abatement measure. 
these oils unfortunately contain various levels of dioxin, dioxin-like compounds, uh, contaminated this whole community because of the road and the dust. Uh, in essence, uh, regulatory authorities and governmental entities ended up buying the town, closing it down, and remediating the entire small community. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, Agent Orange uh, presented as a vector of dioxin contamination from soldiers involved in Operation Ranch Hand. Again, in 1976, Seveso, Italy, there was an industrial accident and a fire associated with a chemical facility manufacturing 2,4,5-trichloroquinol. This particular fire actually contaminated, again, a significant geographical area and population. There have been numerous follow-up analyses in terms of, for example, uh, fertility and cancer uh, impacts, reproductive success, and uh, full uh, consortia of clinical diagnostic endpoints. In 1953, uh, there was a BASF uh, fire with chlorinated herbicide manufacturing workers, uh, and again, uh, an opportunity for clinical analysis of dioxins in human exposure. In terms of uh, the United States in recent times, in 1995-1997 time period, uh, CDC and EPA uh, did a significant amount of analysis in terms of uh, establishing baseline levels of uh, contamination dioxin in the U.S. population. The uh, average uh, adult background intake was estimated to be 70 picograms TEQs uh, toxicity equivalents of uh, dioxins and furans per day as a cumulative of these particular types of compounds. Uh, in terms of uh, the serum levels, the TEQ uh, was, uh, had a mean of 22, uh, and uh, if you broke it out as just specifically 2378, the most toxic cogener, uh, we found a mean level of 2.1 uh, picograms per gram of lipid. In terms of dioxin uh, toxicity, EPA uh, has characterized uh, TCDD as a human carcinogen. Uh, other dioxins are characterized as likely human carcinogens. So when we talk about dioxin carcinogenicity, uh, we are typically talking and referring about TCDD's known carcinogenesis. Uh, TCDD equivalents give us a relative risk of that. Dioxins can alter uh, the fundamental growth and development of cells, and so it's in these uh, cellular level uh, and metabolic level uh, uh, toxic endpoints that we have uh, some concern. Uh, the impact on cells uh, includes adverse effect uh, for reproduction and development uh, at a cellular level. There uh, appears to be some suppression of the immune system. And in high-dose instances, uh, we have the observation of chloracne, and this is a severe acne-like condition. In one of our introductory lectures, I showed you the picture of uh, an acute dioxin poisoning of Viktor Yushchenko. This was uh, uh, a few years back during uh, the Ukrainian presidential uh, campaign. Uh, this individual uh, was perhaps uh, uh, dynamic uh, and, and one might regard as a good-looking candidate, uh, and he was severely disfigured uh, due to uh, poisoning that has been attributed to 
forces perhaps in, of political opponents, uh, uh, an unfortunate uh, situation indeed for this individual. Uh, probably this was an acute dose delivered uh, in a fatty food product or an alcoholic beverage. In terms of dioxin exposure, we know that they're highly persistent and they can bioaccumulate, so this gives us an idea of uh, trying to manage them. 95% of our dioxin intake uh, comes through dietary uh, animal fats. Uh, we have some low exposure from uh, breathing air that contains trace amounts of dioxins. If you're in an airshed, impacted typically by, by incinerations or incinerators. Uh, there can be ingestion of soil containing uh, dioxins or crops grown in soils containing uh, large amounts of dioxins. You can have some uh, amount of absorption uh, because of the lipophilic nature of the compound through contact with air, soil, or water uh, containing these trace levels. There are some environmental processes uh, that will result in wide level, uh, wide, uh, low level exposure of the general population. Uh, but uh, because of regulatory pressure and change in practices in several industries, dioxin levels in the U.S. environment have declined since the 1970s. Uh, there is still some concern in terms of the global transport, uh, the hopping, if you will, because atmospheric deposition does not know boundaries. These transboundary concerns, and primarily in developing nations and nations that uh, have enhanced or increased amount of incineration and combustion processes and uh, a very large population, for instance, uh, India and China. Uh, the economic development associated with these countries has uh, some individuals concerned about the safety of the global food supply. The dioxin emissions in the United States have decreased by about 80 percent uh, due to regulatory efforts between 1987 and 1995, a decade's worth of exposure. In terms of the general population body burden of uh, dibenzodioxins and uh, dibenzofurans, uh, we find uh, that the range is about 8.5 picograms of toxic equivalents per gram of lipid at the low end uh, to about 50 picograms uh, TEQs uh, at the high range for uh, dioxin furans. And so significant range. In terms of the mean, uh, it's about 21.1 picograms uh, via the uh, National Academy of Sciences 2003 study. The U.S. estimate in terms of uh, dioxins and dibenzofurans uh, estimate that in terms of our uh, dietary intake, it's about 41 picograms of toxicity equivalents per day or 0.59 picograms uh, of TEQs per kilogram body weight per day. Uh, in terms of uh, the estimate, uh, uh, that uh, allows for, uh, if you start including PCBs in that estimate in terms of the full range of these chlorinated aromatic hydrocarbons, uh, it jumps up a bit to 65 picograms uh, or one picogram uh, TEQ uh, per kilogram body weight per day. In children, uh, because of the dietary changes in the uh, ratio in terms of uh, body weight to food consumed, uh, it is a, a bit higher at 54 picograms per day or 3.6 picograms 
per kilogram body weight per day. Because of dietary changes uh, and food consumption to body mass changes uh, as children age, that does decrease with age. It's found in analysis that five compounds make up about 70% of the load of general population intake. This includes TCDD, uh, the uh, 2378 cogener, uh, and also a pentachlorinated uh, uh, dibenzodioxin, a pentachlorinated uh, dibenzofuran, hexachlorinated dibenzofuran, and PCB number 126 are the five principal compounds identified in terms of our intake of foods. Now, the dioxin effects in humans uh, have uh, a lot to do with what's found in terms of uh, dose response, but we do find that the, uh, uh, the amount found in tissues of the U.S. population, our body burden, uh, in terms of the analysis uh, by experts in the field, that this does approach within a factor of 10 the level for adverse effects uh, to, to occur. This gives you an idea of why there is such great concern about dioxin in the human food chain. However, there is no clear indication of increased disease in the general population. And so there is a limitation of current data and scientific tools for analyzing some of the metabolic processes, the cellular level processes that might have an impact. There might be uh, some instances for, for example, uh, the actual impacts uh, take decades, for example, carcinogenesis, or that the reproductive effects are uh, dose response limited in terms of uh, we can't look at a clear cause-effect relationship between dioxins and particular uh, outcomes in human disease. In terms of the effects of humans, uh, researchers find that uh, there is a 1 to 100 or a 1 to 1,000 increased chance of experiencing cancer related to dioxin exposure in the general population. So when the risk assessment is done from, uh, in terms of known uh, data, no effect levels, uh, uh, cancer slope levels, um, this is the result, 1 in 100 to 1 in 1,000 increased chance due to dioxin exposure. The cancer risk analysis in 2000 <clears throat> indicated that there was a tenfold higher chance of cancer. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> than uh, was estimated in a previous uh, reassessment. So um, this results from uh, knowing what levels are out there, but also knowing uh, in terms of the dose response. Uh, 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 risk calculations associated with potential dioxin effects. New knowledge yields new risk assessment. In terms of some of the focus groups, uh, children are one of them. Uh, fetuses, infants, and children may be more sensitive to dioxin exposure uh, because of their rapid growth. Um, we have limited data on children, uh, but just like with pesticides, they are developing uh, uh, organisms in terms of neurological growth development and their reproductive systems are also developing. Uh, we still have uh, a subpopulation of Air Force personnel exposed to Agent Orange during the Vietnam War and how that might uh, present in terms of uh, clinical disease and it's still under study by the Department of Defense decades later. There are some other subpopulations that have been exposed from industrial exposure or accidents 
or individuals that have an unusually high consumption and especially high fat foods or uh, fish, meat, or dairy products that have high dioxin levels. There is a controversy associated with dioxin effects uh, because we can, in the laboratory uh, and in vitro uh, analyses, observe uh, enzyme induction and indicators of altered cellular function. Uh, this may or may not indicate uh, a toxic response. It may just be a response of the biological system to presentation of a chemical. And so the question in terms of the controversy, is this just an adaptation of the biological system to the dose, the low dose of a chemical? Or is this an indication of a chain of events uh, leading to some sort of adverse uh, effect? Uh, and this is problematic in terms of risk assessment because we are talking about managing dioxin levels at the part per trillion level. This is a very low concentration with very expensive laboratory analyses. One of the problems I introduced in terms of the D word is the cost of dioxin-based investigations. Sometimes uh, full cogener analyses for dioxins, uh, the amount uh, charged for an individual laboratory assay uh, can exceed $1,000. It's $1,000 per data point. And so if you are reviewing a public health concern in a community or a contaminated area that perhaps is dealing with hundreds or more in terms of affected individuals or areas, uh, the laboratory costs alone for dioxin-related uh, uh, project uh, can be significant. One of these was actually demonstrated recently in Belgium. Uh, we're going to do a quick case study here. Uh, you can do an internet search and find out more details about this. Uh, this was an unfortunate incident where a uh, container truck that was used to transport oils had transported industrial oils, uh, and some of these transformer oils contained dioxins and PCBs. Uh, it was then used to transport uh, rendered oils and fats, uh, waste products, uh, for production, uh, for transport as, uh, and manufacturing in animal feed at feed mills. Uh, so there was a significant contamination of the oil that went into this animal feed. Uh, veterinarians at the time uh, noticed uh, reduction in egg hatchability, uh, reduced weight gain, increased mortality, uh, a syndrome uh, that's extremely common with chlorinated hydrocarbons uh, called chickedema. So there was a, a good diagnostician on hand, uh, ataxia or the inability to stand in, in these particular animals. Uh, so chlorinated hydrocarbon toxicity was diagnosed relatively early in the whole diagnostic toxicology processes. Uh, Follow-up investigation did show the contamination and not only of the feed, but that at this point in time uh, of the uh, food animals themselves. Uh, they found PCBs and dioxins in many animal products, uh, about 60 million kilograms of animals needed to be destroyed because of this particular contamination incident. Uh, it affected not only Belgium, but some of the surrounding territory in terms of the food distribution network in the uh, EEC. Uh, there was a meat product uh, embargo as well. So this was extremely uh, significant in terms of European food quality. In terms of the dioxins and PCBs analyzed in the feedstuffs, 
This gives you a graph uh, on, of the log of the PCBs in micrograms per gram or parts per billion fat, zero to three, and on this axis, the dioxin concentration as well in picograms per gram of fat. Uh, and this is parts per trillion dioxin. This is parts per billion uh, PCBs. And you can see that in terms of the contamination in the feedstuff, there was a, a very uh, linear ratio of uh, these two contaminants in terms of the contamination via this oil truck. How did that present in the food, the food quality itself? This is an analysis of chicken uh, meat. Uh, again, the same sort of axes. This is PCBs in part per billion, graphed against the dioxin levels. What you can see in terms of the fat is that we had a fairly conservative uh, accumulation of what was in. We remember those the previous graph. We had one, two, and three parts per billion, one, two, and three parts per trillion, uh, respectively, in PCBs and dioxins, and we see that same sort of ratio and magnitude in terms of these chlorinated hydrocarbons in uh, chicken uh, fat as well. And so uh, this represents a significant risk in terms of exposure to the human populations and had a significant impact in terms of the food supply system in Europe. Well, let's uh, talk uh, briefly here about uh, the uh, comparative toxicology of dioxins in terms of controlled animal studies that have been studied uh, over the past several decades in terms of identifying some of the risk vectors and risk assessment of dioxin toxicosis. We find that the syndrome induced by the chlorinated dibenzodioxins in a given species of animal is comparative to that induced by the dibenzofurans, the PCBs, uh, the polybrominated biphenyls, or chlorinated naphthalenes. And so there seems to be the same sort of pattern of uh, toxic progression regardless of the specific chemical. Uh, the pathogenesis of the disease is the same. It suggests that these chemicals involve uh, the same receptors. Typical exposure of these chemicals, as we find it in nature in the food system, typically includes a mixture of isomers and compounds, and that yields our toxicity equivalent structure in terms of risk assessment. So it is best to view this whole disease uh, as a chlorinated hydrocarbon disease syndrome uh, in terms of its uh, etiology rather than a specific insult from a particular chemical. What we find is the syndrome varies uh, from animal species to animal species. Uh, the skin of primates and rabbits, uh, cattle and some mice show uh, this characteristic uh, chloracne or follicular uh, dermatitis. Um, the livers of chicken, this is a patotoxic chemical, uh, livers of chickens, rabbits uh, show some necrotic response of lethal severity. Uh, we see this in uh, some guinea pigs, uh, cattle, non-human primates. We find enlarged liver, uh, epithelial hyperplasia, the bile duct and gallbladder. Uh, so there is acute hepatotoxicity. Uh, some animals show epithelial lesions in the entire GI tract and the renal system as well. The one organ that we find in terms of this presentation of the syndrome that shows lesions in all species is the thymus. Uh, often it's significantly reduced, about 25% in size in lethal intoxications. Uh, it seems to have an impact in terms of the immunotoxic aspects of these chlorinated organic com organic compounds. 
Uh, remember that the thymus is where the formation of lymphocytes uh, happens and important uh, in terms of antibody function and immune properties of the organism. A severe intoxication uh, in birds is uh, accompanied by a fluid accumulation, this chickedema that the veterinarians observed in the Belgium incident. It's interesting to note that the total dose of TCDD required to produce disease is less if the dose is spread over time uh, than in a single dose. And there seems to be some bioactivation in terms of uh, the, the metabolic profile and the toxicologic outcome uh, if, in fact, uh, for a toxic dose. Now, in terms of looking at toxic doses, the LD50 for a range of species, uh, pigs are most sensitive, and this is in micrograms per kilogram. Uh, so this is uh, of TCDD in controlled studies, 0.6 uh, parts per billion. Uh, avian species uh, are very sensitive. Uh, rat species, 22 to 45. Mice, uh, on the order of 100 to 200 uh, parts per billion. Uh, rhesus monkeys, less than 70. Uh, rabbits, 115 and hamsters uh, at 5,000 parts per billion. This gives you an indication of some of the concerns uh, in terms of comparative toxicology that uh, among test animal species, there is a four orders of magnitude variability in the LD50. Uh, where are humans in this? Typically what we do, as you well know, is we apply safety factors to the most sensitive species uh, and therefore, that gives us some of the concerns in terms of uh, uh, risk assessment and risk modeling in humans associated with dioxins. Some of the observations we have from animal studies that young animals and females may be more susceptible uh, to intoxication. This has to do uh, with uh, field observations and not, not necessary observations uh, in particular dose response lab studies. Uh, what we find is that neonatal death and poor survival of the young female infertility and reproductive failure are some indicators of field-associated dioxin exposures. What we find is that at lethal dose, the time between exposure and death is unusually long. In the guinea pig, we find that it can be two to three weeks, and so there is a clinical progression of disease. There apparently is uh, biochemical and biomolecular interruptions. Uh, in the monkey, uh, the time from lethal dose to uh, uh, lethality uh, to death is six weeks. What we find is that except for animals with severe uh, uh, hepatotoxicity and liver necrosis, those are chickens and rabbits, the cause of death is not usually attributed to a specific organ or a sp specific system pathology. Uh, in general, what we find is that animals exhibit uh, a wasting disease associated with uh, these chlorinated hydrocarbons. Uh, it resembles starvation uh, and anorexia, so there's obviously a nutritional transport and absorption impact associated with chlorinated hydrocarbons. In some of the environmental exposures, the disease is very complicated by the opportunistic infections that are associated with the immunotoxic profiles of uh, dioxins. In terms of the metabolic profile of TCDD, uh, we've got uh, some of this from dog and rat studies. The major uh, metabolites of biotransformation 
are phase one hydroxylated compounds. Most of these compounds are eliminated as the parent compound in feces. Uh, the chronic rodent bioassays, uh, life-term and short-term uh, uh, animal studies have addressed uh, some of the issues of tumor initiation, promotion, co-carcinogenesis, uh, DNA interaction, uh, mutagenesis, and clastogenesis associated with uh, TCDD. This is a very well-studied uh, chemical compound studied on the uh, macro uh, uh, organism level and also on the uh, biomolecular level. In terms of its uh, carcinogenicity, mutagenicity profile, uh, in terms of the animals here in rat and mouse data, you'll see a uh, dose response indication here in terms of the dose of tetrachlorodibenzodioxin. And this is micrograms per kilogram per day. As we increase the dose uh, from 001 to 0.1, we see the increase in tumors from uh, hepatocellular uh, squamous cell carcinoma. In mice, uh, same sort of thing, a tenfold increase in dose from 0.03 micrograms per kilogram per day to 0.3. We see hepatocellular uh, tumors, thyroid tumors uh, um, uh, developing in the test species. Some of the suggested mechanisms of toxicity and carcinogenicity associated with dioxins include alteration of the cell membrane function and cell-to-cell -cell communication. Uh, there can be an effect on vitamin A function, some potential for membrane lipid peroxidation from free radicals generated in the biotransformation of the chemical, an impact on thyroid hormones, an impact to the thyroid itself, hormone alterations associated with thyroid dysfunction and estrogenic effects, uh, and as well, a modification of DNA. Some experiments have suggested that the production of uh, superoxide uh, initiates uh, a peroxidation effect that allows for progressive hepatotoxicity. Uh, what we find is that uh, TCDD does inhibit hepatic uh, selenium glutathione peroxidase and reduce glutathione. There apparently, from laboratory studies, is a good correlation between glutathione peroxidase activity and survival of the organism. There is, uh, for example, uh, a lipid peroxidation endpoint that's been observed in the biotransformation and organ impact of these chemicals. Now, if we look at the molecular level profile, when people have studied this, and this is ongoing research, uh, people have looked at perhaps modeling and ana analyzing some of the cellular changes uh, in in vitro work uh, on uh, dioxin impacts uh, to particular cells and cellular processes. We find 14 steps that are listed on this particular slide in terms of diffusion into the cell, binding with the uh, aryl hydrocarbon uh, receptor protein, uh, dissociation from heat shock protein 90, active translocation into the cytoplasm, and that's associated with a hydrocarbon uh, nuclear translocator protein uh, conversion of uh, uh, receptor uh, to enhancer DNA, uh, altered DNA configuration, histone modification, recruitment of additional protein in terms of a cyclic effect, nucleosome disruption, uh, increased uh, accessibility of transcriptional promoter, 
and then binding uh, to various factors of the promoter, and then enhanced messenger RNA and protein synthesis being some of the early molecular events. Again, some of the challenges in terms of interpreting these in vitro studies is differentiating uh, essentially mo molecular adaptation or bio biomolecular adaptation, cellular adaptation to a chemical and the presentation of an adverse effect. This uh, table uh, is from EPA, and this gives you a broad matrix <coughs> of the effects of TCDD and related compounds in various species. Uh, I'll let you uh, examine this in terms of the class notes. Uh, some of the effects across species for enzyme induction, lethality, wasting, teratogenesis, mortality, endocrine effects, immunotoxicity, carcinogenicity, neurotoxicity, porphyr porphyria, and hepatotoxicity, uh, most of those uh, being uh, observed in humans with the exception in terms of broad-based uh, clinical endpoints of lethality. Now, if we switch over now in terms of uh, examining kind of the sources and pathways uh, in terms of human exposure, uh, we find that an analysis of environmental source types that combustion and incineration sources are the primary release vector for dioxins in the environment. We do have industry-specific uh, vectors, include, including metal smelting, refining, and processing, various chemical manufacturing and processing, especially those chemicals associated with organochlorinated uh, comp compounds. We find that we do have reservoir sources, such as soils, uh, that do uh, ex experience uh, atmospheric deposition and also some of the uh, molecular and microbial uh, bioprocesses associated with natural production of some dioxin compounds, uh, a minor uh, resource. Uh, as well, there are biological and photochemical processes associated with uh, dioxin production. Over the past uh, decade, decade and a half, 15 years or so, there has been a significant uh, upbeat in regulatory pressure uh, by various industries and dischargers to limit uh, releases of dioxins. In terms of quantifying these TEQs, or toxicity equivalents of uh, dioxins and furans uh, in the US, you can see as you go down this list uh, from incinerations being one of, the, again, the prime vectors, the various incineration sources from municipal waste to uh, cremation and funeral parlors, uh, hazardous materials, combustion, and even cigarettes. Uh, that there is, uh, has been a decrease uh, from 1987 observations to 1995 observations, uh, and this has been a significant decrease. Um, in terms of power energy generation, in terms of the decreased concentrations of chlorinated hydrocarbons and therefore dioxins from the combustion of various uh, fuels, including wood combustion and coal combustion, and again, because of enhanced uh, uh, recognition of the sources and the pathways of dioxin production, uh, and as well the limitation of airborne release uh, in terms of new technologies uh, for cleaning uh, smoke discharges. Uh, you see across this list fairly significant decreases uh, in dioxin release over 1987 to 1995. Overall, this gives us a release to air in terms of uh, the total quantified releases to air, a reduction in terms of the grams of TEQ per year in the U.S. This is grams across the nation 
13,000 grams uh, being released in 1987 of these uh, equivalent compounds down to 2,700. This is a significant uh, response in terms of enhanced regulatory pressure. This response has actually been observed in terms of a lowering of human body burden levels as well, as we'll see in a moment. Some of the releases to water in terms of uh, point of discharge uh, for particular industries, uh, many chlorinated uh, compounds are used in paper bleaching in wool pulp and paper mills. Uh, there's been significant regulatory pressure applied to limit the releases of dioxin-like compounds uh, from uh, paper and pulp and paper mills. In 1987, uh, 356 uh, grams of TEQ per year down to 19. So in terms of source abatement, this has been a significant source abatement uh, result. In terms of releases to, to uh, land, uh, the grams of TEQs per year, again, shows uh, a very similar sort of range due to enhanced regulatory pressure in some aspects, primarily with regulated industries, the pulp and paper mills. Municipal treat, treated sludge uh, has not shown uh, a change, uh, but uh, in terms of the production of 2,4-D uh, herbicide, a very commonly used herbicide, and removing it as a byproduct of manufacturing, there has been a small change there. Overall, uh, a small decrease in quantifiable releases in terms of grams per TEQ per year. It's not on the same order of magnitude of reduction, but it's also not on the same order of magnitude of release as incineration. In terms of quantifying the overall releases, and again, the biggest segment is in incineration and combustion sources. Uh, in terms of releases of grams of TEQs per year, in 1987, 13,500, 1995, uh, 2,800. So significant regulatory uh, uh, success story in terms of the application of pressure that we as citizens through our elected officials and then uh, regulatory governmental agencies put to play in terms of industrial releases of these types of chemicals. Now, if we take a look at the other sorts of sources that we have in terms of their environment, uh, we have some uncontrolled combustion sources, metal smelting, chemical manufacturing, biological and photochemical processes, for example, in, in composting. There are some also reservoir sources out into the environment. All of these contribute to our dioxin load, but they're unquantified. So between 1987 and 1995, via regulatory pressure, we had an 80% decrease of uh, source, uh, sources of dioxins uh, and release to air, water, and land. Uh, this is primarily due to municipal and medical waste incineration release reductions. Uh, this had a lot to do with uh, new regulations, new knowledge about the risk of dioxins uh, from toxicologists, from risk assessors, and the risk management aspect of somehow delinking the cycle between production of dioxins, contamination of the food system, and impacts on the U.S. population. The Clean Air Act, in terms of uh, the vehicle for control, uh, the regulatory control, the Clean Air Act, uh, it requires emissions based on a maximum control, achievable control technology. Uh, this uh, challenged it in terms of uh, the, uh, gave the regulators the authority to limit uh, release. Uh, 
the Clean Air Act and, the, and RICRA, the Resources Conservation Recovery Act, uh, uh, allowed for management of uh, hazardous waste incinerators that had the potential to release dioxins. The Clean Water Act managed uh, release in terms of the National Pollution uh, Discharge Elimination System, or NPDES, which is the end of pipe permit for um, a, uh, a discharge, a, a pipe that discharges into natural waters. The Clean Water Act gives us uh, an amb ambient water quality standard for TCDD, and this is a guidance for the development of state water quality criteria. Pulper, pulp and paper facilities uh, were the largest known industrial discharges of dioxin into water, and the Clean Water Act guidelines in the late 1990s actually uh, helped reduce discharge from pulp or paper facilities, and this is projected to be as much as 96% reduction. Uh, this has a lot to do with enhanced controls in terms of the release, but also an effort to change the types of bleaching chemicals used in the pulp and paper industry. In terms of the uh, uh, various water releases, there is a maximum contaminant goal uh, of zero in terms of releasing uh, contaminants into water systems. The Safe Water uh, Drinking Water Act enforces a maximum contaminant level of three times 10 to the minus eighth parts per million for TCDD as well in terms of human drinking water in uh, municipal or regulated systems. The control efforts for land uh, had to do with Superfund and RICA cleanups and management of hazardous waste, things like Times Beach and Love Canal incidents. The hazardous waste uh, identification disposal rules under RICRA help prevent future contamination by establishing rules for proper uh, legal uh, hazardous waste management. The Toxic Substances Control Act, or TASCA, authorizes uh, restricted use of dioxin-contaminated pulp and paper sludge, uh, and so there is more emphasis on the pulp and paper industries to remove dioxin, potential dioxin-forming processes from their industrial processes. And there is also a, uh, an effort to limit the amount of dioxin released from cement kilns, which makes cement that we use in construction. FIFRA also has, uh, and TASCA also authorized control and limitation of some of these uh, chemicals, and so the manufacturing processes for, uh, that, uh, and uh, the uh, manufacturer of some chemicals like 245T and pentachlorophenol, uh, which uh, uh, have been used uh, as, uh, for their herbicidal activity and as uh, wood treatment, have actually been banned by use, and therefore the potential of those compounds to contribute via combustion or by other uh, environmental processes, the dioxin load has been eliminated. In terms of the environmental media of uh, where TEQ concentrations come from, uh, we find in rural soils, uh, uh, again, soils that aren't impacted as much by industrial processes. Uh, these are one to six picograms per gram. Uh, or part per trillion in urban soils, uh, significantly higher, uh, as many perhaps as three times higher. In sediments of some water bodies, uh, one to 60 picograms per gram or parts per trillion. And again, the impact of rural versus urban area, significant more concentration and therefore exposure in urban air, typically due to increased human activity and combustion sources. 
One of the major uh, endpoints in terms of dioxins cycling through the environment is contamination of the food system. What we find is that this yields levels, especially as we look at the lipophilic nature of these chemicals, and it's cycling in the liposphere that is going to present in, in food products that have higher levels of fat. The total uh, picograms of TEQs of uh, uh, dioxins and furans per gram of fresh weight food is given in this list for beef, pork, eggs, milk, uh, dairy products, freshwater fish uh, with a significant concentration because of the deposition pathway, marine shellfish, vegetable fats, and water being uh, not uh, large enough to contribute in a substantial way. We do generally see uh, higher levels uh, for uh, uh, confined animals, typically confined animals that uh, are near urban areas. In terms of the percent contribution of food dioxin intake uh, for children, uh, the National Academy of Science Institute of Medicine report analyzed uh, all uh, manners of dioxin uh, exposure to different age groups, including adults. This is a segment of that report, but it gives you an idea that when people have done the exposure assessment for children one to five years based on dietary consumption of certain food types. When you break that down in terms of specific loading, you find uh, that in fact uh, uh, the largest uh, segment is 35% from meat, uh, second largest from dairy foods and uh, mixtures of dairy foods at 30%, and uh, the next two down are associated with consumption of fruits and vegetables and uh, uh, other sorts of uh, um, uh, uh, compounds, uh, components in the, in the food diet. In terms of the background and body burden changes uh, across the term where this enhanced uh, dioxin uh, regulation uh, happened, uh, in the late uh, 1980s, uh, the body burden was 30 to 80 picograms TEQs per gram of lipid, so 30 to 80 parts per trillion in human body fat. Uh, the midpoint was about 55 uh, uh, picograms of TEQ, and this included all dioxins, uh, furans and dioxin-like PCBs. The high-end estimates in terms of the scope or the range of uh, populations, and this is about 1% of the general population, may be as much as three times higher, and this is based on consumption of high-fat diets as a surrogate for dioxin intake. Um, in the late 1990s, this had decreased so that on a lipid basis, uh, we now had 25 parts per trillion, so a significant decrease uh, in terms of the release to the environment and the cycling through the human food chain, a significant uh, regulatory success once again. Well, finally, in terms of looking at uh, dioxins uh, in the human food chain, uh, we are challenged with coming up with a risk profile, especially at these very, very low levels. Uh, what we find is that receptor binding and some of these early uh, biochemical events are likely to demonstrate low-dose linearity, uh, but uh, taking that low-dose linearity uh, to uh, a biologically-based cancer model is a challenge. Uh, if it, in fact, does link up in terms of cancer slope factors, then that risk will be linear to the exposure of TCDD at low doses. 
but still we just don't have a good handle on all of the mechanistic relationships uh, associated with low-dose impacts, uh, metabolic impacts, and its relation to human disease. Uh, our dose response curve in terms of low-dose exposure to um, uh, dioxins has a significant amount of uncertainty. Uh, we have then uncertainty in the whole risk assessment of these very low doses in terms of our response uh, in terms of risk management, risk mitigation associated with dioxins in the human food supply. So hopefully this has given you uh, a, a good briefing, uh, uh, an in-depth briefing, if you will, without going to the primary literature uh, associated with dioxins in the human food chain. Uh, the D word does, in fact, uh, uh, stimulate a lot of discussion in many circles uh, uh, because of its acute toxicity in some animal species and its potential for human impact in terms of metabolic disorders and human disease. Uh, hopefully this gives you an idea of this particular type of chemical compound, but also related chemical compounds in terms of these chlorinated hydrocarbons in the human food chain. Until next time, we'll see you again. Thanks so much.